Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on July 2nd, 2023, on the basis of 2 Kings chapter 1. Our sermon from today for today is from 2 Kings chapter 1. It says, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied. He said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, "What kind of man was it that came? What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this?" They replied, his, "He had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist." The king said, "That was Elijah the Tishbite." Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his, with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting at the top of the hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent, sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire came, fire of God, the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all of their men, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says, is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on, you will certainly die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the books in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? This is God's word. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Maybe you've heard of this, this guy before. He is a, a prominent atheist scholar. His name is 
Richard Dawkins. Uh, Richard Dawkins has talked a lot about God, and none of it has been good. Uh, Richard Dawkins believes that the Bible is a myth. He believes it's made up, it's fiction. Um, And he characterizes the God that's presented in the Bible. Specifically, he criticizes the God presented in the Old Testament as a bully. Here's what Dawkins wrote in one of his books. He said, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Dawkins, he's not the only one to make claims like that. There are plenty of other people that that want to try to uh, accuse God. And and when they try to accuse God, a lot of times they they pick out sections of the Old Testament in order to make those claims that God is a bully or a dictator or whatever uh, accusations they want to levy against God. They're they're also really quick to point out uh, that there seems to be, in their minds, a difference between the way God shows up in the Old Testament and the way Jesus presents himself in the New Testament. And so our section that we just read for today, it's one of those sections that that Dawkins and guys like him would have an issue with. Ahaziah has acceded the throne. He he has taken the place of his father Ahab, who has died in battle just a a couple chapters uh, ago in, in 1 Kings. Ahaziah's reign... Not off to a great start. He he fell through the lattice in the upper room, severely injured himself, uh, so severely that even he is kind of questioning whether he's going to recover or not. He's not really sure if he's going to recover. And so he sends two messengers to Ekron to consult of this god, Baal-zebub. Baal-zebub literally means Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flies. So he's going to Ekron, and just to give you a little idea of where we're going here, he's up in Samaria in the kingdom of Israel, and Ekron, as you can see, is outside of the borders of Israel. So he's going to a foreign nation to Philistia, the, the Philistines, you might, might remember that name from, from the Bible. He is sending messengers to a foreign false god named Baal-zebub to see if he's going to get better or not. Uh, Elijah, of course, meets him on the way, meets the the messengers on the way, and he rebukes the the messengers. Why are you going outside of the the kingdom of Israel? Why are you going to consult of this false god, Baal-zebub? Why aren't you going to consult of the one true God? Is there no God in Israel, he says. And his rebuke, of course, is for the messengers that are traveling down, but ultimately his rebuke is for Ahaziah, who sent those messengers to, to go consult of this false god. But whatever Elijah said, it must have been somewhat convincing because the messengers never actually made it down to Ekron. Uh, who knows how far they made it, but they, they ended up turning around and going back after they met Elijah on the way. And they went back to Ahaziah and said, we met this guy and here's how he was dressed and here's what he said. He, he said that you're going to die. <laughs> Which, as you can imagine, Ahaziah didn't like that a whole lot. He was Ahab's son after all. And so what Ahaziah decided to do was send, I'm going to send a captain with 50 men to go find Elijah. But, but here's the thing, we never actually find out what those soldiers were going to do with Elijah. We, we can probably guess what, what those soldiers were sent to do to Elijah, but we never find out because before anything happens, Elijah asks God to send fire from heaven and, and God sends it and consumes the first two battalions of, of men that were sent Elijah. 
Now, that's the exact thing that a guy like Richard Dawkins, uh, people like him that make those accusations of God, that's the exact thing that they would have an issue with. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's something we have a hard time uh, with as, as well, a picture of God that we have a hard time with as well. Because we see God carrying out his justice in such an absolute manner, a lot of times in the Old Testament, and that's not exactly how we see Jesus doing his ministry in the New Testament. In fact, here's an example. When, when James and John, Jesus' disciples, they were angry at, at a reaction that Jesus had gotten from the, the people in a certain city, and they wanted Jesus to, to call down fire and consume the city. This is why, the, why James and John became called the, the sons of thunder, right? When they wanted Jesus to do that, what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. He said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. So, so what gives? That seems like a difference, right, between the God who sends fire from heaven to consume these guys in the Old Testament versus Jesus, how he shows up in the New. And it really is a good question. It's a good concept to, to wrestle with, especially if we're approaching it honestly. Of course, Richard Dawkins and guys like him, they're not asking a question and they're not approaching this honestly. They've already made their mind up and they want to accuse God but we're going to come with honesty, we're going to come with humility, and try to find some answers to those questions and to that concept. Is God a different God from the Old Testament to the New? Um, what do we do with those sections of the Old Testament where, where we see God carry out his justice in such an absolute manner? And what we're going to learn is we're going to learn how to perceive God rightly. So I, I'm wondering... Is it the justice part of that that, that we would have a problem with? Uh, when we see God carrying out the justice, is it because we have a problem with justice? I'm going to say probably not, right? We love justice. We, we want justice. We, we seek justice. We can see that in, in plenty of different examples, even over the last few years here. Uh, the one that seemed to stick out in my mind is, uh, you might remember not too long ago, and they've made movies about it now, when, when the, the U.S. military finally sent a, a special ops unit and they located where Osama bin Laden was, right? And they, they, they were able to get him, right? They, they, they put his life to an end at that point. This is the guy that was, was responsible for killing thousands of Americans, right? And so when, when they finally found him and killed him, justice was served. People cheered, right? Because we want justice. We desire justice. Yet, when God sends justice, sometimes we question that justice. When God sends justice, and we, we see it in the Old Testament, not just in this section, but plenty of other, other sections of the Old Testament, we think he's being harsh. We think he's being unfair. So, why? Why is that our impression of God in the Old Testament? Or why do those thoughts get churned up when we see these uh, moments of just, judgment and justice in the Old Testament? Old Testament here. I want to give you three big, three big reasons here. And here's the, here's the first one. When we question God's judgment, it's number one, because we want to be God. It's really no different than the first temptation that, that Satan brought to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? He, he said, if you eat this fruit, you will what? Become like God. You will know good and evil. You will become like God. And ever since Eve and Adam fell into that sin, 
uh, we've sought to do the same. We want to be God, and, and sometimes we think we are. Sometimes we think that our way, that we would carry out justice, that we would carry out judgment, is superior or better to God's. And here's the thing, we can do a pretty good job of convincing ourselves that when, when we're not connected to the Word of God, when we're not hearing all the time about how God actually presents himself in the Word, we can intentionally or unintentionally begin to equate our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own desires with that of God. And, and after too long, we start to have a God of our own preferences. We don't have the God as he actually presents himself in the Bible, but we have the God that we want, the God that we've formed, or the God that, that culture has made up for us. Here's reason number two. Uh, when we question God's judgment, it's because we innately know that we are deserving of it. Uh, one of the, the sections of our, our catechism curriculum for 7th and 8th graders, uh, we go through a, a, a whole lesson on the dangers of pornography and uh, what the Bible has to say about that. And there's a particular section in there uh, where we look at a graph, we look at a, a poll, and it, it strikes me every time I, I see it. Uh, here's how the poll, I'll do my best to describe what the, the poll is. The, the poll was asking a, a, a one question. What sort of sentence does this sixth commandment offender deserve? So, so they're asking the, the, the poll takers what the punishment that this crime specifically deserves, okay? And so the, the people that they were asking, they were asking two different kinds of people. People that had admitted that they, were, they, they used pornography, that that was a sin that they were entrenched in, that kind of person, and then somebody who, who didn't have that struggle with that sin. And here's what they found. People that were entrenched in that sin advocated for less, uh, less of a punishment for that particular crime, Sixth Commandment crime. Then the person who was not entrenched in that sin, they advocated for a punishment that was more in line with, with what that crime deserved. And so here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. That those entrenched in a sin had a lower view of justice or they wanted a lower view of justice. Now, let's take that. That's kind of specific. Let's apply that broadly now. We are all sinners. We, are, we know that we are sinners. We know that sin deserves judgment. We know that sin deserves punishment. So, what do we want? Sometimes as a solution, we want a lower form of justice. Or we, we want to get rid of that sort of judgment, justice, altogether. Because we don't want to fall under those, those strict uh, those strict constraints of the, the law. We don't want that judgment to fall on, on us. Here, here's reason number three. When we question God's judgment, it's because we fail to see how detestable sin is to God. If you ever think as you're reading through the Old Testament that that seems pretty harsh, that that, that seems out of proportion with what that person did uh, as God's carrying out his justice in the Old Testament, um, I'm going to challenge you with this. Perhaps it's because we don't understand just how detestable and atrocious our sin is to God. 
And some of that is because uh, we live in sin, right? And some of that maybe is because we don't even have words to, to really describe how bad sin is. I don't know if when we say sin, if that really communicates, at least, I don't even know if it communicates with me, how, how big of a stench this is in the nostrils of God here. Uh, somebody called sin once uh, a cosmic treason. Maybe, that, maybe that's getting a little bit closer, right? It, that's, treason's bad, right? Maybe that sounds worse than sin. But, but I think, regardless, we do ourselves a great disservice when we whitewash sin, when we dress it up and make it seem like it's, it not, it's not so bad. So here's, I want to be kind of transparent as to why we're talking about this. I kind of said this in the introduction, but I want you to perceive God rightly. I want you to perceive God as he actually presents himself in Scripture. I want you to see that God is a God who is perfectly just and maintains a high standard, a perfect standard of justice. And I don't want you to shy away from those Old Testament sections where God is administering his, his justice. Don't shy away from those because I want you to know that when God says something, he really means it. I want you to know that, that God doesn't just look the other way when it comes to sin. God isn't like a God who, who says, I know what's going on, but I'm just going to kind of look over here and pretend that this isn't happening over here. No, no, God cares deeply about what he says in his word, and, and he wants his people to live according to that. That's so important. It's so important that we maintain that, that perfect level of justice as, as we perceive God, because if we don't understand that God is a God who is perfectly just, and we don't understand what that means, we'll never define love correctly, and we'll never fully understand love. You see, we don't see how those two things are interrelated, but in the Bible, God makes pretty clear that his justice and his love are, are so interconnected, they're so related. To us, they seem like opposites, Right? That, that, that justice and love, they, they somehow oppose each other. And so we, we struggle. We struggle to think, how can God be perfectly just and how can he be perfectly loving at the, at the same time? And so we, we kind of make an effort to resolve that paradox in our mind. And this isn't just an intellectual exercise here. We do this in real ways. Uh, one of the ways we try to resolve that paradox of, of God's justice, perfect justice and his perfect love, is we say, uh, we pretend or we functionally live as if the law didn't exist, as if God's justice didn't matter, or as if God didn't dole out punishments anymore. Instead, we say, let's just accept all things and tolerate all, all things, and we get rid of the fact that God is just. And then there's the other side over here. That, that maintains the rigid standards of the law, uh, but forgets completely that, that God is a God of, of love and forgiveness and patience. Or, or also over here is, the, is maintaining this rigid standard of the law and thinking God is, is this God that's going to send fire on me at any moment and I, I live in fear of that. Like I said, this, this isn't an intellectual exercise. We are all living out this practically and has implications on our life. How, how do we resolve that, that paradox? Some of you maybe already know the answer. The answer is the cross. That's the answer to this paradox here. I, I don't know if you, you know uh, a, this, a lady named Rachel Denhollander. 
This is Rachel. She, is a, she was a U.S. gymnast, uh, Olympic gymnast. Uh, a while back, she's a lawyer now. Um, Rachel Den Hollander was also the, the victim of sexual assault uh, by Larry Nasser, who was the, the team trainer of Team USA at that time. She was the first one to come forward and publicly accuse Larry of that, of that crime. And after she came forward, a bunch of women came forward after her saying that the same thing was, was happening. Now, Rachel endured awful things. Um, and she was also put in a really tough place because she's a Christian. She's a Christian. And so when this awful thing, these awful things happened to her, uh, she had to wrestle with God's love and God's justice. She had to wrestle with the fact that, that she'd said in church and she grew up in church hearing that like, Jesus wants us to forgive. She had prayed the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass, trespass against us. As we forgive those who trespass against us, right? And so she'd heard that, but she also wanted justice. Rightly so. She had the right to demand justice. And she knows that God wanted justice as well. She found the solution correctly in the cross of Christ. Because it is at the cross that, that we see that God uh, does not treat sin as some trivial thing. That God does not see evil as some, some trivial thing. But God takes his full wrath and full punishment and puts it all on his own son. So Rachel, after wrestling with this, 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 isn't, uh, uh, this isn't something that just comes. She, this is something you, have to, you, you wrestle with, I'm sure, when you go through something like she went through. But she could say something like, like this. A victim's sense of injustice and desire for vindication is upheld at the cross. Injustice and right, unrighteousness are real. And God hates them. She sees that God's justice is maintained in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. And she's able to forgive. This is a, a picture of her at, that, at Larry Nasser's trial. And she had the opportunity to confront Larry. And, and here's, what she, here's what she said to him. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. She forgave him. Here's the, here's the concept. If you, owed, if you went and borrowed money from a bank and you couldn't pay that, that loan back, the banker could not be said to have forgiven that loan if a third party came in and paid that loan for you. But the banker can be said to have forgiven that loan if he himself pays that money back. And in that case, justice is satisfied, the payment was made, and forgiveness was extended. It, it's the same with God. God offered himself, his only son. He's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? When he offers his son, he offers him himself. And he sacrificed himself, making the payment for sin, and also extending to you forgiveness. That, and therein lies the key to resolving the, con the, the apparent conflict between this Old Testament God that we see administering justice so absolutely, and how Jesus presents himself in the New Testament.
God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God in the Old Testament as in the, the New. He still cares about justice. He's so perfect in his justice. He still punishes sin. He just put all of that punishment and all of that wrath on his own son, Jesus. If we fail to see just how just God is, just how, how absolutely he, he carries out that, that justice, if we sail, fail to see just how detestable our sin is to God, uh, we, we will miss the, the light of the gospel. But when we see those things, then and only then will we begin to see the brightness of his gospel and fully understand and correctly define his love. I want to wrap just a couple things up from this particular section. So the, the first two battalions came to Elijah, right? And they, God sent fire from heaven and consumed those two. The third comes much differently. That's how I would imagine coming to Elijah if I were that captain. In fear. He knows what happened to the first two uh, battalions of, of soldiers. And so he comes in fear and humility and begging for the lives of, of himself and his, his men and Elijah eventually goes with that, that captain back to Ahaziah, pronounces the same judgment, Ahaziah dies. We, we can spend a little bit of time, we could spend a lot of time probably trying to, to figure out why did God send fire on the first two battalions but not the, the third? Was it because the first two came in pride and arrogance and, and they had ill intentions towards Elijah is it, be, is it because the, the third came in humility and that humility, was that the thing that, that saved him and his men? Here's the thing. It, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter why that, that was the case. Uh, when you, you believe and trust exactly what we talked about today, that God is a God who is perfectly just and God is a God who is perfectly loving, that does something for you. It creates trust. It creates trust in your heart in, in God's judgments. It creates trust in your heart in God's love. And so it's that trust that allows you to, to let go. You don't have to have the answers to all the questions. You don't need to know why this is happening or why this happened. You can trust that God, no matter what he has done, is perfectly just and perfectly loving, even if I can't explain how that's the case. That's true for the Old Testament. As I read through parts of the Old Testament, if it seems out of proportion to me, if it seems like, why is this happening? I can still trust that no matter what, God is perfectly just and perfectly loving. And he was doing, he was carrying out both in that act. And that applies to me and my life too. That no matter what has happened to you in your life, no matter what's happening to you in your life right now, you can trust that God is just and God is perfectly loving. And so, Here's my prayer for you as you walk away today. I pray that you perceive God correctly, rightly. I pray that you perceive God as he actually presents himself in his word. And I pray that as you, you learn to know him better in his word, that that creates trust in your heart in God's justice and his love and how that applies to you in your life. Amen. Hey, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. You know, in our digital age, it's really easy to share some of this content. You can share it with a friend simply by sending it to them. You can tell them about it. Uh, or you can simply like or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. That helps more people see this uh, content and, and hear about Jesus and his love 
more often. We hope you join us again next week as we, we dig into God's word yet again.